Welcome to the 176th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. A more sophisticated view of the soil requires a more sophisticated way of measuring how healthy it is. What's the soil's water holding capacity? How effective is it at generating its own fertility or sequestering carbon? Those are the kinds of questions that farmers, scientists, and conservationists are asking as they try to figure out ways to build healthy soil that's resilient and productive in the long term. One attempt to begin answering those questions is a relatively new tool called the Haney Test, or Soil Health Test. Developed by Rick Haney, a USDA soil scientist, this test goes beyond just determining how much nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, what's called N, P, and K, is present in the soil and supposedly available to help crops grow. Such limited testing for N, P, and K and other elements has served crop farmers well over the years, providing them a sense of how much nitrogen fertilizer they need to apply in the spring to get a profitable corn yield in the fall, for example. But the standard soil test does not measure the overall biological health of a soil. The microbes, living roots, and fungi that go into making soil a living ecosystem that can remain productive in the face of harsh conditions such as drought and flooding, while providing valuable ecosystem services such as cleaner water and greenhouse gas sequestration. As Haney puts it, in a sense, his test is trying to quote-unquote mimic nature in the lab. One of the ways the test does this is by measuring the so-called carbon dioxide burst in a soil sample. This measure is taken by wetting dried soil and then measuring the amount of carbon dioxide released within a 24-hour period by soil microbes. The more carbon dioxide emitted, the more life that's present. In a sense, one could figure out how many people are in a room by gauging the amount of CO2 being produced. So in a typical Haney test, a higher CO2 reading equals more microbial activity, and thus a healthier soil. When the CO2 burst level is combined with the other soil characteristics the Haney test measures, farmers can have a deeper insight into just how fertile their soil really is. For example, Rick Haney likes to point out that his test can help determine the presence of nitrogen that standard tests may consider unavailable to a growing crop. That means a comprehensive soil health test can help prevent over-applications of fertilizers, thus reducing the amount of agricultural pollutants that end up in our water. Reducing fertilizer applications can also save farmers money. Getting such deep insights into the biological health of the soil also helps farmers determine what practices are hurting, as well as helping, all those microbes and other forms of life. That's one of the reasons the Land Stewardship Project is working with farmers in southeastern and western Minnesota to utilize Haney tests on land that's being exposed to various conservation farming systems. For example, farmers participating in the southeastern Minnesota Cover Crops Network are utilizing the Haney test to determine if growing small grains and other plants on corn and soybean fields before and after the regular growing season can improve overall soil health. Such testing is in its preliminary stages, and LSP is hoping to eventually use results to develop guidelines for farmers who are seeking ways to improve their soil. I recently attended a meeting of the Southeastern Minnesota Cover Crops Network at LSP's office in Lewiston, just as the 2015 growing season had wrapped up. There, around two dozen farmers talked about what they are looking for in a soil health test and ways they can integrate cover cropping and other soil-friendly measures into their operations. After the meeting, I talked to LSP organizer Caroline Van Shaik, about the potential and limitations of something like the Haney test, as well as the importance of seeing measures such as cover cropping as investments in a farm's future. 
here's why I get jazzed about the Haney test. It's not because it has it all figured out. In fact, we talked a lot about that today where where the Haney test has some problems. But it allows us to talk about soil as a living something on your farm and that that living something can be uh, made better or worse by how you manage your soil and that the relation between cover crops, meaning having things that are growing in the ground and above the ground more than when you have a, a typical corn or bean field, directly and positively impacts the science of your soil and therefore the health of your soil. And the Haney test is trying to get at a better understanding of the of quantifying the living aspect of that soil. So you'll hear people talk about the microbial populations or the biological aspect of your soil. And it isn't that a traditional soil analysis doesn't get at some of that, but it only gets at part of that. And what Rick Haney with this analysis is trying to do is capture another part of it. Now, I say another as though there were still other parts to get to. And Rick Haney himself will tell you that this is by no means the end all. But, you know, 20 years ago when I was in school as a soil science grad student, we were not talking about this. We were talking strictly about organic versus inorganic. And we understood that one was available to plants and one was not. And the part that was not was this delightful mystery. But nothing that you factored in, you didn't credit your soil very much. So the Haney test is allowing us this window into part of that plant-available nitrogen in a way that anything that has come beforehand has not been able to. And that's exciting. I think the other thing that was really interesting was you guys, we're, come, we're sitting here in um, December, first day of December here, and we've come off a growing season where people had, it sounds like fairly good, uh, results with cover crops. Some of the people, it was their first year of doing it. Some have been doing it for quite a while. But also there were some mixed results. And, and it seemed like with this kind of round table that you had here, you had a couple dozen people here kind of throwing ideas around, that they were able to really compare notes and figure out maybe, of course, no end-all solutions were developed, but they were able to kind of talk about well, this is what worked on my farm. This is what didn't work. This is what maybe I'm going to try next year. And use that kind of as a basis to go forward, as well as maybe looking at, well, what what does the Haney test tell me and, and what some of these other soil sampling is going to tell me as far as going forward on this. That's been maybe one of the shortcomings of people trying out cover cropping and some of these other techniques in the past is they try it one year, they fail, don't continue with it. But that this, I, I got the feeling maybe this is kind of the development of a almost a support network type of thing. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm going to touch on a couple of ideas if I can remember them here. One is, um, I hope we made it clear today that the Haney test, like all tests, are part of what you consider when you're looking at what's going on in your soil or whatever it is you're trying to measure. It is it is one analysis among many things. You could also take your shovel out there and, as I said, rub your soil between your fingers. That's also part of your understanding of your soil. Another point I want to make is that, you know, you heard a request for some protocols, some some how-tos, a list of variables and what to do about them. People want they want to be told what to do. Even the innovators want to be told what to do. And 
there isn't a protocol. And so I look at these conversations as farmers teaching farmers, and that is the very best resource for anybody trying out something new, is to go to somebody who's already doing it, not because they're the expert. It just means that they've done it for one or five or 20 years longer than you have, and therefore they have a pool of knowledge. That's your resource. I don't think we give ourselves time for these kinds of conversations enough, and I think there's a lot of learning that goes on when you make coffee and invite people to come and pay attention to each other around a given topic. So yes, the Cover Crop Network and the Haney Program with farmers who are doing cover crops and let me come on and test their soils, honestly, it's it's a media for talking about your soil and making it better and doing it smarter and doing it in the company of other people who are mucking around and trying to do it too. The other discussion, the kind of direction I saw the discussion going to was, okay, some of these successes we're having are exciting, but the next step is how do I make this pay kind of thing? How do I justify that $35 per acre of seeding? How do I you know, go to that next step? It seems like that's high on the list of priorities people have. I feel really strongly that we need to change our tune and talk more about investing in our soil the way we in, the way we put a roof on our house before we leak and bef- when you go to the dentist every 6 months instead of only every 10 years and when you balance your checkbook the idea is to improve on your soil on your farming capacity in a proactive fashion. And I feel that understanding your soils and making intentional decisions about them, including putting money into, for example, cover cropping, should be part of our expectation of the business of farming and that we don't view the cost of cover crops, 25 or 45 or $65 an acre, as anything other than an investment in our investment. Now, I'm not being naive or casual about that money. That is serious money. But if I could go back to the Haney test for a minute. So one of the last line items in the analysis is a demonstration of the nitrogen that would have been captured in a traditional NPK-type test and the nitrogen that the Haney results are showing up. And the difference is money in the bank. So if you credit your field for that nitrogen per acre difference, that pounds of nitrogen per acre difference, You can look at that money as part of what's covering the next year's cover crop. If you have 30 pounds of N per acre and whatever whatever it would cost to replace that fertility-wise, that's money in your pocket. It could cover your cover crop or part of it. So that's a wonderful cycle to be in. I'm not um, dismissing uh, somebody's need to actually make money from a field every year. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we heard a fellow who says he puts on a three- cover crop species mix, and two of them he harvests. The other one is just soil building, but the other two he feeds to his livestock. So he's, quote, making money from his cover crops, but he is also garnering one heck of a bounce in his soil for that effort. I also talked to Cover Crops Network member Stanley Smith, who raises organic crops as well as beef cattle in southeastern Minnesota. Smith talked to me about some recent experiments he's done with cover cropping and the possible role the Haney test could play in his planting decisions. You obviously have a 
pretty extensive background in farming organically and with minimum inputs. But what is it about, there seems to be a lot of interest in soil health. Cover crops is one tool people are looking at to build that soil health. What is it that's interested you in being involved in something like this or kind of sounds like you're very interested in researching the use of cover crops even more and, and some other techniques for building soil health? I think the fact that I use minimal inputs, uh, I have to grow my own inputs. The The cattle are used in order to return as much back to the soil as I can. So what I want to do is maximize by keeping growing plants on the ground as much as I can. It sequesters more of the nutrients and they're, then they're available for the plants that I grow for profit. I guess what did you do this year as far as you, you were part of this kind of research project that Caroline's doing? What, what was it that that consisted of? Um, this year what we wanted to do was plant early enough corn so that we could get it off in time to plant a cover crop following the corn and I was afraid that being organic I don't plant my corn as early as normal usually around the 20th, and usually I don't finish planting corn until Memorial Day. So I was worried um, I might not get the crop off in time. And so what I did was put some cover crops on with the cultivator uh, on the, at the last cultivation in hopes to get enough growth that once I took the corn off, I would still have cover growing. Uh, it didn't turn out as well as I wanted, uh, there wasn't much growth because I put the crop on. At the last cultivation, the corn had already uh, canopied, and so the products that I put on were not tolerant to the shade, and so they didn't grow quite as fast as I thought they would. And so then and after I took the corn off, this is a, an exceptional year, so I was able to still put uh, annual, or winter rye following it and have a good stand of winter rye following the corn this year. So you were able to get some winter rye on this fall. And so what's the idea there that you'll, is, is that something you'll then next spring uh, till under and plant that to beans or what's your kind of your plan going forward from there? The plot will be going into soybeans next year. And so I'll either roll the rye in the in the late summer or I mean late spring or I'll be tilling tilling it in and, and putting soybeans in. So it sounds like one lesson you learned just from this year alone was there are some cover crops that aren't shade tolerant <laughs> and that we need more work in there. I was wondering in general and I know this is you know there's we don't have a whole lot of years research into this and we heard a little bit about some of the issues that people i guess some questions that people have about using them and some some barriers that they need to overcome but what do you see going forward as far as some questions you would need answered or that you would like to kind of um get your handle get a handle on as as if if you're going to pursue using cover crops more some some issues that you would need to kind of address uh, I think the same answers that most people need. Uh, it costs money to put the cover crop in, and it takes time. And both are important, so you have to balance how much income you can get in order to maintain cover crops. And that's that's part of the reason we're using early corn is in order to gain the time to plant the cover crop following the corn and then we have to balance afterwards 
is it economical? Because we still need to show a profit. And I think that's the biggest problem with commercial or organic farms. You still have to show a profit. It's not profitable to leave a crop without any production for a year just to grow a cover crop. So you have to incorporate it into your normal program. One big part of the discussion today was the Haney soil test. And um, I was wondering... And going back, I guess, to one of the issues you talked about was, well, you got to make this pay, and we got to figure out what kind of a credit I'm getting as far as fertility and that kind of thing. Is is that kind of more sophisticated soil test important to you as far as trying to figure out what kind of cover crop system you're going to choose, and and or or what other other soil health building techniques as far as getting past that just typical N P and K type type of test? This is the first year that I've used the Haney test, so. It's quite new to me. I think most of this uh, is going to be a longer-term program because we're not going to see immediate results. Just like this year, planting the winter rye following corn, it might have reduced my yield on the corn because I went to an early corn, but next year it's going to help on the soybeans. So it's going to be difficult to assign dollar value here and a dollar value there because I think it's going to all work together in a program because I expect next year I'll have better weed control in the soybeans and hopefully a better yield in the soybeans. I realize that one of the things they're doing is they're giving credit for the nitrogen that the bacteria are releasing whereas a normal soil test does not give you any credit and uh, I think farmers should be looking at that. For more on LSP's work with soil health, see www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendell, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.